0: Okay, welcome to episode 65 of the Business in Morocco podcast. Today we're going to be talking about our book recommendations, things we've been reading, things we've just finished in 2020, things that we want to uh, pass on to you and recommend you read. We are in week seven, just finishing up seven weeks of the lockdown in Morocco. Ryan, how are you surviving and thriving over there?
1: Well, I hate to say I've probably gotten used to this lockdown um, more more comfortable with it um, so the lockdown itself is is fairly normal um, but I do see some changes coming I have some clients reaching out to me saying that they want to do they want to start thinking about doing some marketing and uh, getting ready for the, the reopening of the economy so that's good um, Constantly thinking about what is allowed right now, and what can be done, and trying to pursue different uh, different opportunities um, during this this time of home confinement. But yeah, mostly just uh, trying to keep the kids occupied during the day and and stay uh, mentally alert. You know, consuming content, podcasts, videos, reading books like, like those that we're going to share today on the podcast. So, yeah, I'd say the the word that uh, that describes this past week is just perseverance. I'm just gonna try to persevere through this confinement and uh, and make it out on the other side, mm-hmm. hoping that May twentieth stays May twentieth and does not move. Uh, move ag- is not delayed again.
0: Yeah. Even if they do extend the lockdown, we're certainly a lot more than halfway to the end. That's for sure. If we're uh, 49 days in, by the time this airs, they're not going to extend it further than that. So, Alhamdulillah, we're getting close.
1: Yeah. And the truth is, is that a lot of people are just not paying attention to it. I mean, if you go out there for your authorized activities, you just see there's, there's a lot of people who are taking it very seriously. They're very scared. Um, they're, they're terrified of this virus. Um, and there's others who just, it's like it doesn't, it's like a normal day. I mean, hmm. you see groups of guys, you know, eight, 10 guys. Some have masks, some have no masks. They're hugging, they're messing around, they're fooling around like it's nothing Hmm. so i'm hoping that uh the actual infection rate here in morocco is is higher than anyone thinks and that we're 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 moving in the direction of, of herd immunity so that there won't be a second wave and and the economy can start to recover because a lot of damage has already been done
0: yeah agreed yeah looking forward to uh some of the measures being reduced and things starting to open up and especially for businesses starting to get back on their feet earning some income
1: well let's uh let's give some advice to our viewers and listeners about some things they can read to occupy their time during the rest of this confinement uh you want to go ahead start with uh your number one recommendation
0: yeah so one book i've been reading actually a second time I just picked this up again off the shelf. Is Cash Flow Quadrant? So that book may not be as familiar to our audience, but certainly they know Rich Dad Poor Dad. This is the same author, Robert Kiyosaki, and this is basically like a continuation, Rich Dad Poor Dad Two, if you will. And he basically just talks about the difference between employees, those who are self-employed, uh, they have you know, their own business that they work in day to day. And then those that own businesses, like they aren't necessarily needed. They don't have to be there every day. They own a system. And then lastly, investors, those who just put their money to work and their money works for them to earn, earn an income. And he has this kind of quadrant here that he describes and some of the skills necessary for each of those roles and the mindsets And kind of is encouraging people to move from this side over to the other side to become business owners and investors. The cool thing for me, rereading this book, I first read it in 2011. And so I've been reflecting back on where I was at in my thinking and in my, um, my career and in my business investing. And it's it's cool to look back and see how some books have had a really powerful impact on my life, especially related to business and finance. I first read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was a newlywed, like it was 2004. And um, that had a huge shift in my paradigms, what I thought about money and what my plan was for the future. And that was what convinced me to to buy a property. So my wife and I ended up purchasing a condo and that kind of began our journey in real estate investment. But then this book shifted that for me because I owned a condo, the same one when I was reading this. Actually, I owned a second one as well. But they were both losing a bit of money each month. So in the long run, I was making money because there was appreciation. And over time, you know, holding it for years, they were both rented out. They were going up in value, and so I would you know refinance and take out some of the money and come out ahead. But month to month, it was losing. The rent didn't cover all of the expenses, including the mortgage payment. and he calls them in cash flow quadrant. He calls an a investment property like this, an alligator. Mm. He calls it a liability. Even though the bank would classify it as an asset, it's taking money out of your pocket each month. And when there's something like this pandemic that we're experiencing right now, it kind of verifies what he's talking about. Because especially when people's incomes are dropping, some tenants have lost their jobs. And so they might be struggling to pay full rent. If you're holding an asset that's not paying for itself, it becomes a liability in a moment like this, because you need money to live on day to day. And this thing is actually costing you money day to day. And so reading this book back in, you know, 2011 shifted my thinking, and I, I changed my real estate investing strategy, and now purchase different properties that that are cash flow positive. So, I guess what has been really striking me is I'm realizing how powerful books can be in shifting your thinking and changing your actions. Because I can kind of go back over the last 16 years and see the steps I've taken financially, particularly related to my real estate business in Canada, and see how key certain books were, including Rich Dad Poor Dad and Cash Flow Quadrant. So I highly recommend both those books. Rich Dad Poor Dad is the number one uh, personal finance book of all time, and you'll find scores of successful and wealthy people that point back to that book as being a huge catalyst in their thinking. And so you've got to. Everyone's got to read that book, even if you are an employee just working with a salary. But cash flow quadrant really takes takes it a step further. So I recommend that as well.
1: Yeah, that's great. I I, I endorse those books as well. I think they're they're very basic economic uh, literature for economic education that typically is not taught in any kind of school environment. Yeah, I mean, I went through business school, and a lot of what he talks about, we we never really covered in any yeah. of my classes. So, yeah, it's very good. Uh, very good content. My first recommendation is also one that uh, demonstrates the power of books and ideas, and that is uh, "Managing Oneself" by Peter Drucker, and. It's a small book. It's a short book. He doesn't try to cover a whole lot. But he basically focuses on this idea of what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What is your capacity to to learn and adapt? And once you understand these things, can you make changes to what you do every day? to improve your performance, and your efficiency, and your effectiveness. And one of the things that I really took away from this was the way people learn. Uh, There's many different ways of, of learning, but he mentioned one specifically. He talks about a category of learners called writers. He says, typically writers do very poorly in school because they don't learn by listening, they don't learn by reading. They learn by actually creating content and, and writing it out. And he gives an example of Beethoven had n- numerous hundreds of books of notes that he took while he was creating content that he never actually went back and looked at. But just the process of writing it out was, helped him learn. Mm. Um, and he talks about how these types of people get very bored at school. Because it's a lot of listening, it's a lot of reading, but that's not the way that they learn, and and so they get labeled as, you know, attention deficit disorder or as bad students, simply because they learn in a way that the school does not teach. Um, and so, one of the things for our listeners uh, to think about is how do you learn, and what would be a way for you to figure that out, and are you pursuing those methods of learning that are best suited for you? So that was, that was a big one. Another one was this idea of tracking your own performance. He, he, he suggested that you, you make long goals, six months, 12 months, 18 months, right? You say, these are my goals. And you, you break them down by area of your life and area of your work. And then you track how you do. Did I, did I accomplish that goal? Did I do it well? Did I finish it? And he says, if you go through this twice, you know, 12-month or 18-month periods, you go through it twice, after, eight, after uh, three years, you should know what you're good at and you should know what you do well and then you should also know what you don't do well by looking at the performance of yourself over a long period of time. And he says, once you figured these things out, you need to stop doing those activities that waste your time and energy and effort and focus on those things that you actually do well. Now, I know this is like in an ideal world, we can get rid of certain tasks and we can focus on others. It's not always um, true in, in the job that we're doing that we can just give an assignment to somebody else but it's good to really understand what am I good at what have I performed well at over a long duration and can I put myself in a job or a company that will allow me to thrive in that area and avoid the jobs or the companies that will make me do the things that I'm not good at
0: yeah yeah that's solid that's solid advice and and um, it actually came up in a book that I was reading another one called it's called free to focus. I read it at the beginning of this year by Michael Hyatt. I really recommend Michael Hyatt. I've heard him on a number of big name podcasts. So if you just Google him, you'll, you'll find him, but he talks about his way of talking about it is uh, finding your true North and just trying to figure out what are the things that you are both passionate about and proficient at, you know, so you enjoy them and you're good at it. And of course, every job is going to have elements of it that you're not amazing at or that you can do, but you don't enjoy. Mm -hmm. But the more and more you can delegate um, those kinds of tasks, particularly for business owners. I know we've got a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of students that are choosing their career and thinking about what industries to go into. The more and more you can structure your day so that the, the bulk of your time is spent doing things that you're both passionate about and proficient at you're going to see a lot more success. And I I think that's what's cool about Drucker is, is he's thinking about it like a, like a CEO, like as if you are a company or you are a business and you need to, to do well. And so companies need to say, look, we can't compete in this area. This is not something that is in our wheelhouse. It's not something we're good at. Let's focus on the things that make us a lot of money, the things where we're dominating the market. Let's double down on that. And we can do that same thing as entrepreneurs.
1: Absolutely, it's true for, for employees, for workers, for independent contractors. But if you're a business owner and you have lots of employees, it's very important for you as well because you want your people doing what they do best and you want them enjoying it. Mm-hmm. You know, From a customer perspective, there's nothing worse than engaging a company and talking to someone who could not care less about your customer experience. Yeah. If your people who are interfacing with your customers, if they hate you, or they hate your business, or they resent their job, it's going to be obvious. Yeah. And, And it's going to give your customers who are paying you a bad experience. Yeah. And I see this all over the place. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's fairly easily avoidable. Yeah, um, Yeah.
0: And, and for managers and for business owners, it's important to recognize that everybody is different. We all have different areas that we enjoy and that we're good at. And so sometimes we can feel guilty about delegating something. We think, oh, this is the worst job. I hate, I hate entering all the, the, the numbers into this Excel spreadsheet. I feel guilty delegating this to somebody else. It's like, I'm giving them the worst job, but our worst job could be somebody else's best job, something that they actually really enjoy. And the author of free to focus, he gives the example of, of booking travel. He says like, I just can't stand, you know, arranging my accommodations and booking my, my transport and buying flights. He just hates that whole process, but he found an assistant that actually just really enjoys that he loved searching for deals and looking at the times and seeing what's available and coordinating the logistics. So he's, he realized, Oh, I'm actually delegating something to this guy that he really enjoys. And as long as you can get the people on your team doing what they really enjoy and their skills are going up and they're getting proficient at it, the whole company is going to benefit.
1: Absolutely. And I've, I mean, just to give you an example, I've been working with Jumia recently in the last mm-hmm. few weeks, Uh, figuring out ways to sell things on Jumia. And, you know, they have figured it out. They have got employees who care about their job, who want to provide good customer service, who are responsive, who are competent. And, you know, I know that we're, uh, we're still trying to negotiate uh, an interview with uh, the manager here in Morocco for Jumia. And hopefully we'll get that for our listeners here in in the near future. Yeah. But, you know i'm I'm going to congratulate him when we do get him on the podcast because for me as a seller uh it has been a great experience, and whatever they're doing they're they're doing it right they're finding the right people, they're training the right people, whether it's customer service online or through text message or phone call or the people who work at the warehouses and I don't know if you've experienced this recently, Ryan, but we talked about this before the delivery process for me has gotten much better, much, much better. Yeah, they have smartphones. They're calling me. They're asking for the localization through uh, WhatsApp to send them the the coordinates through Google Maps. And it must be the last four or five deliveries. I've had no problems with the driver. So,
0: yeah, that's that's exciting. They're they're getting it dialed in. They're getting it figured out. Yeah, I mean, we got to we got to remember, I mean, all of this is Fairly new in Morocco, you know, like just it's only been the last two to three years that we're really seeing all the the Glovo and Jumia guys jetting around making deliveries. Previous to that, you really only saw pharmacies um, as the common delivery guys going around. So, yeah, it sounds like they're they're improving. That's that's encouraging.
1: i don't, I'm not sure, but maybe the folks at Jumia have read my next book recommendation, which is. <laughs> Uh, The Score Takes Care of Itself by Bill Walsh. He is pretty universally considered to be a great leader in the United States sports community, um, American professional football, the NFL. And funny enough, he didn't actually write this book. He did a series of interviews with an author who then wrote the book. Um, But it's very well done, and it is... Uh, A book about the mindset and the priorities of Bill Walsh and the culture of the organization that he had with the San Francisco 49ers. And I just wanted to list off some of his habits for a good leader, um, knowing that uh, the folks in Jumia have figured it out in a lot of ways. Uh, So let let me just read off this list of, uh, of habits. It says, Be yourself. Essentially you can't be somebody else for, for the long run. So just be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but while you're being yourself, be committed to excellence, be positive. You know, sometimes we're can be negative. It may not come naturally to us, but be positive, be prepared. Anyone can be prepared. You don't have to be a genius to be prepared, be detailed oriented. So there are stories of Bill, while she would go around the headquarters and, He would look at the way that the person cleaning the offices was doing their business, the way that people were dressed, the way that people organized their files. The the, the classic example was the way that the organization answered the phones. He actually wrote out the script for the secretary who answered the phones. And he said, look, this is what you need to say. This is how you need to say it. And it needs to be like this every time. So he was very detail oriented. He wanted the entire organization to just feel and be professional, Hmm. not just, you know, the athletes on the field, but everyone in the organization, when you went through it, there was an air of professionalism and hard work and discipline. Wow. Um, Be organized, be accountable. Meaning if you make a mistake, you got to own up to it. You got to tell people, Hey, I made that mistake. This is what I'm going to do to fix it and move on. Be nearsighted and farsighted. We've talked about this a lot, Ryan. Um, Mm -hmm. Think in the long term, make long term decisions. When he first got to the team, he essentially got rid of like all the coaches and almost all the players and, and a lot of the staff. I mean, they were a terrible team when he first came there, but he knew that they were going to be a bad team his first year because... He had to fire almost everybody and start over, but he was making that decision because he had a long long term perspective. Yeah. Number nine, be fair, be firm, be flexible, uh, believe in yourself and be a leader. I mean, he always knew that people were watching him, that people were going to follow his example. If he was unfair, then his staff was going to be unfair. If he was inflexible, then other people are going to be inflexible. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, if he doubted himself, then, you know, his quarterback was going to doubt himself when deciding what play to call or whether or not to throw to this receiver or what decision to make. So in his opinion, it all started at the top and it flowed down through the organization. So this book is a, it's a good read, and it's very practical. I think it's applicable not just for for leaders, but people um, in any organization.
0: Yeah, I love reading reading uh, biographies and books that are really focused on one leader or one person's experience in sports or in business, because it takes other books that are mostly teaching principles and ideas and kind of shows how it is fleshed out, how it how it can be applied in a person's situation, and so kind of brings the lessons to life and if you're reading a whole bunch of books about principles and ideas and then you mix in some biographies of successful people you can start to see some of those ideas really lived out and what it looks like and it makes it easier to apply it i also love you know thinking about the title the score will take care of itself recognizing kind of the difference between lead indicators and lag indicators, you know, focusing on the small things that will lead to the results. So we have an objective, we have a goal, that's the lag indicator, but what are the steps we need to take that will hopefully lead to those results? So we've talked about this before in relation to like a sales funnel, you want to increase revenues or you want to increase the number of clients and you kind of traced it back to, one of the first steps is making these cold calls. It's actually picking up the phone and approaching customers and asking to set up a meeting. And if you have enough of those calls, give it time. And if your system's efficient, you're going to end up with the sales revenue that you're hoping for. But there's a difference there between that. If you're doing the right things, the score is going to take care of itself.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Um, I'm reading a, a book called Good Habits, Bad Habits. I picked this up at the uh, Casablanca Book Fair a couple months ago at the englishbooks.ma booth. And I, you know, I've talked a lot about habits. I love books about habits. One of the things in the chapter I just finished was about how powerful our context is in protecting our habits. Recognizing that habits are basically automatic behavior. It's things that we do without really thinking about it so when we understand how habits work, we can create a system or create an environment that that helps support habits that lead us in the direction that we want to go. Because habits can be positive and they can be negative. We have habits that we do, behavior that we do habitually without thinking, without making a decision that is hurting us. It's taking us away from our goals. And then we have others that are helping us, bringing us towards our goals. So when you're wanting to form a good habit, You want to really protect it in like this cushion of this environment. You don't want anything to get in the way. So if there's any change in the routine or in the context or the environment, it can cause you to have to consciously examine and make a decision. And whenever you have to think, whenever you have to make a decision, that habit becomes vulnerable. Okay, so for example, if you want to develop the the habit of exercising, one of the environments that can really help you is the time of day people do a lot better when they have a specific routine this is the time of day that they always go to the gym or they always go for a run or they always do their workout and if you if anything interferes with that if a meeting runs late or the alarm doesn't go off or someone didn't you know needs a ride to school or anything that interferes with that means now you have to think you have to analyze, am I going to do this workout? And at that moment, you're vulnerable to come up with a justifiable reason to skip it or to push it back. And it's, it's become vulnerable. And so the the best thing you can do is try to create this environment, this supporting context around your habits so that it just flows naturally. You just do it without even thinking like brushing your teeth before bed or like making a coffee in the morning or, leaving, work, leaving the, your home at the same time, driving the same route to work. You're not making decisions about these things because they just flow in the routine and the context. So we can use that to help us support the good habits we're trying to develop.
1: Yeah, I, I, Ryan, you have really uh, convicted me on this whole power of habits. You know, I, I must say, before you and I met and we started talking about business and professional development, I honestly hadn't spent a whole lot of time thinking about the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I completely agree. Um, I really like that one, um, that one idea that you mentioned where we, we hook those new habits we want to have, we hook them to other habits that we already have. What yeah. was that called again?
0: It, it could be called habit stacking.
1: Habit stacking. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. Very mm-hmm. powerful. Um, how is your, uh, your chart of Darija going, by the way?
0: My Darija chart, I only, I've only been filling it in when I meet with my tutor. Mm -hmm. So if I do any study, um, separate from separate from him, like when it's just me on my own, I don't fill that in. And actually now that I'm sharing that with you, that could be my downfall in a moment like this, this, because I haven't met my tutor in a couple of months. And so what, I've, what I'm what i finding is that I don't have that incentive or that, well, first of all, I don't have that accountability mm-hmm. to meet with my tutor because I don't have a set appointment. Um, but then secondly, I don't have that, that reward or that little boost of being able to check it off. So even if I do study at home, I don't get that same encouragement. Mm-hmm. So maybe what I need to do is adjust my, my system so that even if I study for, I put in the time, I still get to To tick the box or color it in on my chart so i would get that little reward yeah one little bridge to to another book i wanted to recommend yeah this book is called the four tendencies and it's talking about the difference between external obligations and internal obligations and some people they are able to decide something themselves they're able to say oh you know what i should exercise or i should go to bed early or i should wake up or i should eat healthy i should quit smoking And that's it. Once they've decided to do something, they do it. They're self-disciplined, self-motivated. They follow through on it. But other people, they really struggle to meet obligations to themselves and they need external accountability. Like I'm describing with my tutor, even though I believe I should be studying Darija and I need to keep going with it. It's really my appointment with my tutor that keeps me progressing. And when I don't have those appointments, I struggle to put the time in by myself. And so in, in many ways, in that case, I'm, I'm being um, an obliger, which is one of the tendencies described in this book. So it's really helpful to know kind of where you fit on this personality profile. I really recommend Gretchen Rubin. Um, so you can take a free quiz by Googling um, Gretchen Rubin or the four tendencies you can go to her website take a free quiz and it gives you a little report about your tendency and some simple advice that you can apply to help be effective within your tendency so the book was really useful and um, i highly recommend it for anybody that's wanting to increase their effectiveness
1: the last book i'm going to mention is I'm saving the best for last and it actually it's applicable to to all the books that we've already mentioned and it's called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield and if there's one that I could recommend now we had uh, episode 17 where we talked about books but of all the books that I've recommended this book again The War of Art is by far the number one and the reason is, it addresses this issue that is really the foundation of everything that we talk about, which is resistance. So, so everything we talk about is doing something, being something, making a change, um, you know, getting a degree, starting a business, developing a product or a service. Um, it all involves doing something. Mm-hmm. And, and this book really talks about for those people who want to do something, you have to understand that there is a force that is against you. It's it's in all of us, and it's it's sort of in our human nature. And he defines it as the resistance. The resistance cannot be seen, it cannot be touched or heard or smelled, but it can be felt. We experience it as an energy field radiating from a work in potential. It's a repelling force, it's negative. Its aim is to shove us away, distract us, prevent us from doing our work. And he basically says that if you understand that there is something within us as humans and within culture and nature that causes us to stay put, to Mm. to not change, to not take risks, to not go out and, and make changes, then once you understand that it's there, you can fight it. Hmm. He talks about how the resistance is internal. It's not something that's actually external forcing against you. It's in your mind, it's in your soul. He says resistance is insidious, meaning it it bullies you and it pushes you. You mentioned earlier, if 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 I don't have a time that I exercise, then then there's going to be an easy excuse that comes into my mind later, right? This is the resistance that he's talking about. Mm -hmm. He says the resistance is it doesn't get tired. It's always going to peck at you. It's going to tell you, oh, you don't need to do your homework today. Uh, You don't need to do that research on that new product or service. You don't need to call that customer right now. It's going to encourage you to procrastinate yeah don't you have a netflix show to watch right exactly he says the persistence is uh it's universal it's for everyone it's everywhere it's in every domain whenever you're trying to accomplish something of magnitude of significance the resistance is going to be telling you you can't do it it's too hard Mm -hmm. it's never been done before it's uh it's not possible you're not the right person to do that, right? This is the little voice that's going to be speaking to you. It's based on fear. You're not going to accomplish it or, or it'll tell you, yeah, it's possible. You could do this, but you know what? You're not the right person and you're going to put in a lot of hard work and time and effort and then you're going to fail.
0: Hmm.
1: So you better just not try at all.
0: It's like the, this traitor within us right, working against us
1: yeah and the last thing i 'll say about the resistance he says it's the most powerful right at the finish line
0: mm. right
1: as you're getting to that point where you're gonna break through and you're gonna you're gonna move past the resistance and really accomplish something the resistance is at its most powerful wow and, and you know it's really it's true now and and the more that I come to understand um, you know European culture and Moroccan culture and the differences between these cultures in, in America, I would say the resistance is strong here in Morocco.
0: Mm. There's
1: sort of a, an idea that, that I need permission to do what I'm doing. Someone else needs to give me permission. You know, whether it's the government or my family or my friends or society, I need someone else's permission to do what I'm doing. And if I have that permission, then I can go ahead and do it. But if I don't have permission, well, then it's not allowed. Hmm. And and one of the things that makes the United States so different is that, that there is a culture of everything is allowed unless it is specifically illegal or prohibited. Right? Yeah. So I don't need permission to start a new company. I don't need permission to write a book. I don't need permission to start a YouTube channel. I don't need permission to start blogging or to start creating posts on Instagram. I don't need permission to educate myself. You know, I don't need that permission. And so what I want to encourage our our listeners and our viewers is start embracing this idea that you don't need permission that You know, as long as you stay moral, you're not hurting other people. You're not committing fraud. You're not lying. You're not cheating. You're not stealing. You don't need permission. Just go forth, you know, pursue something and know that the resistance is going to try to stop you and it's there, but it's not real. And, uh, and you can overcome it.
0: That's cool. Yeah, man. Motivational words. Have you read that? war? It's Lin- a
1: war. The war. Have you read
0: *Lynchpin* by Seth Godin?
1: So I've not read it, but I've listened to it.
0: Okay. Cause he, I don't know if he uses the term, the resistance, he but does. he talks about, yeah. Okay. So a similar idea and he, he kind of equates it back to like evolutionary ancestors and the, the lizard brain, just trying to survive and stay safe and not take risks. And uh, so yeah, similar kind of thing, just saying like, go for it, you know, like, you've got something valuable. You've got a voice to add to the world. You've got these ambitions, you've got these dreams. So pursue them. Don't give in to this traitor within that's telling you, you can't do it.
1: And there's never been a better time. I know it sounds like a horrible time during a global pandemic and a confinement. There is no better time to ignore the resistance and just go try something new than right now. Because honestly, The economy is in tatters. It it has been devastated. And right now is the time for new ideas and new initiatives and new products and new services. People are going to be more open to that kind of stuff than ever before. Um, And so go for it.
0: Yeah, huge disruption, right? So there's tons of shifts in many, many industries. So now is a great time to break into it.
1: All right, any parting thoughts?
0: I guess just realizing that reading is such a good habit because it really shapes our thinking. So we need to be selective in the books we read because they have a powerful impact on us. So yeah, getting recommendations from people that you're learning from or that you respect is a really wise practice. I keep a list in my phone and when I'm listening to a podcast or watching a YouTube video and someone that I follow, someone who's mentoring me says, oh, this book, blah, blah, blah. I, I write it down and uh, keep a list. And then when I'm looking for new books or I'm browsing a, a bookstore and I see one of the books I've, I've heard about, then I know that that's, that's got the recommendation of someone I trust and someone who I'm learning from. So keep reading.